Michael, we have officially arrived at our favorite time of year. It's the holiday season here in New York City, which means we will be spending a disproportionate amount of time shopping and socializing. And on the shopping front, for the very special people in your lives, do not delay. Take a look at the latest jewelry collections from David Yermit. This quintessential New York brand was founded by husband and wife duo David and Sybil, a sculptor and painter. Over 40 years later, the David Yerman brand is widely recognized as a symbol of relaxed American luxury jewelry. The Yermans work alongside their son, Evan Yerman, to continue to create collections with the finest craftsmanship and exquisite artistry. Enjoy all of the collections at davidyerman.com. Happy Saturday. It's December 17th, 2022, and you are listening to Morning Meeting. I'm Ashley Baker. And I'm Michael Haney. And we are here in New York City, ringing in the holiday season, feeling festive, and we're about to have a fantastic show today. I know the Christmas Carol of choice is Christmas Carol time, but my only song is Reunited and It Feels So Good. I have Ashley back in the city with me, and I couldn't be happier. Oh, me too. I love it. We are so cheesy and we apologize to our listeners in advance. But hey, this show is all about love, especially this time of year. We're watching Love Actually. We're singing the carols. We're doing the dances. We're having a good time. We had our holiday party last night for airmail. It was raucous. Are we bleary eyed today? We'll never tell. We are here doing our job still, but it's been great to see everybody and to be back in the mix. And we have a lot to talk about this week. We have a lively show for you today. If you're thinking of going to Paris over the holidays, our man in Paris, Alex Lebrano, has a tip on the hot place everyone is eager to dine at right now. Then, speaking of trips, Lin Q.U. joins us from Los Angeles to tell us about how millennials are going broke by attending 30th birthday bashes. I want to know about that. And finally, we have a special guest, Bruce Bozzi, the host of Airmail's newest podcast, Table for Two, will stop by to talk about what you can look forward to on his new show. Ashley, where would you like to begin today? I mean, restaurants, parties, food, what's not to love? I think we should probably start with the food, Michael, I'm sorry to say. Yeah, let's go to Paris because we have a given a choice. You always go with Paris, right? Start with Paris. Oh, always. I mean, look, eating in Paris is one of the great pleasures in life. And fortunately here at Airmill, we've got an expert for that. Alexander Lebrano is a Paris-based restaurant critic. He's a, also an author and a memoirist. Welcome, Alec Lebrano. Okay, Michael, we have a treat in store for our listeners today. We have our favorite Parisian here. And yes, that is a tall order. The one, the only Alec Lebrano, who's a writer at large for Airmail and the author of the best culinary memoir I think I've ever read. I think we can say that that's safe. It's called My Place at the Table, A Recipe for a Delicious Life in Paris. It is essential holiday reading. But first, we are going to talk about one of the hottest restaurant openings in Paris of the year. The revamp of Prunier. Welcome, Alec Lebrano. Okay, Alec, first of all, how's Paris? Paris is wonderful, actually, this year. I mean, we're also happy that who'd ever think that anyone would say this, but we're also happy the tourists are back. The retired cabaret dancer who lives downstairs from me said to me the other day in the stairwell, Oh, mon Dieu, que je suis bien que les tourists sont de retour. How happy I am the tourists are back. Tourists and foreigners are a huge part of the landscape, and they also keep the restaurants ticking over. So Paris is energetic and lively and out to have a good time like I haven't seen it in many years. Did you say the retired cabaret dancer who lives downstairs? <laughs> that alone is like makes me, again, why do I envy Alex Lebrano because of that? Like, yeah, I'm just a retired cabaret dancer who lives downstairs. So if you didn't think your life was romantic and beautiful enough there in Paris, there it is. So... 
Anyway, but Ashley's got a better question for you. Alec, you are globetrotting constantly, which is one of the many things we love about you, but you have rediscovered a classic restaurant right in your own hometown. What is happening at Prunier? Well, Prunier was most recently owned by Pierre Berger because he, the founding business partner with Yves Saint Laurent, the Yves Saint Laurent fashion house, they were famous Russophiles. They loved everything about Russia. They fell madly in love with Russia, including caviar. So they bought this famous 19 19- 1924 caviar purveyor with a spectacularly beautiful Art Deco main restaurant and caviar counter behind the Arc de Triomphe in Paris. They owned it for a long time. It was notorious for the after-show parties that used to be thrown there. Then it kind of fell asleep after Monsieur Berger passed away. And now a new owners have kind of rebooted it. They understand that it's one of the sexiest, most beautiful restaurants in the world. And they brought in Yannick Alineau, who's a Michelin three-star chef at the Le in the gardens of the Champs-Élysées. And Yannick has really, really put his finger right on the pulse of what we want right now. Again, I mentioned a minute ago, Paris really is out of a good time right now. The city's more fun than it's been in ages. So Prunier, I mean, Yannick has done a full barrel, a really sexy sort of make you throw your head back type menu with unbelievably delicious food, a really fun, frisky little soundtrack, and a really, really nicely redesigned interior. All right. Talk to us about the signature dish that Eleno has dreamed up. It's called Love Christian Dior. Well, this is an homage, an egg-shaped homage to the egg-shaped late Christian Dior. And it's just one of those things that shows what haute couture or haute cuisine and haute couture have in common. It looks so simple when it comes to the table. I mean, there's this orb, this beautiful orb of an egg with a jaunty little sprig of chive and a big dollop of caviar. And it's sitting on a pool of ivory-colored cream with a speckled with caviar, which looks great right out the gate. And then you dig into it with your spoon. And what's hidden under the cream is this incredibly potent porcine aspect. Yannick, he slow sweats huge whole legs of ham for hours, collects the juice and uses it to season this aspect. And the meeting of this very salty caviar and the porky taste is stunningly delicious. Okay, Alec, you had a memorable meal there with some fellow luminaries on the culinary scene. Tell us about your experience there and what your compatriots at the table had to say about it. Ruth Reichel, my former boss at the Leighton still limited gourmet, told an absolutely delightful anecdote about the first time that she ever went to Cugny. She was there with her mother and father. Her father was a very famous typeface designer and book designer in New York City and one of the most elegant men I've ever met. He actually, I knew him before I'd ever met her because he sublet space in an office of a publishing company in Lower Fifth Avenue where I was working and he wore a celluloid collar. But anyway, the Rachels took their daughter to Paris and they took her to Prunier. And that day she had bought her first little black dress, French little black dress. And Ruth said, so it was a great day at the gate. But then I got to Prunier and then I started eating caviar. <laughs> and she said, this is just the certain things that you don't forget your first time she said, and she was absolutely right. Alec, we trust you for all the latest, greatest news in Paris. As we look forward to 2023, are there any openings that we should keep in mind? There are a lot of really fun things coming along. The most interesting, there's a new restaurant star in Paris, who I think we'd love to write about him in Air Mail in 2023. This fascinating man named Stefan Manigold, 
who grew up in a Hebrew orphanage in Mulhouse in eastern France, and he's become the talent maker. I mean, he's coining new restaurants and finding the best new chefs in Paris, and he's got two or three new tables in his queue. The restaurant he opened this year, Granite, with a young chef named Tom Meyer. Tom Meyer, who's, he's a puppy, he's like 25 years old. He just got a Meilleur Ouvrier de France, which is the highest award that France gives to any artisan, which is astonishingly young. And so I'm most looking forward to seeing what else Monsieur Manigold is going to set up for us. And then also Dominique Crenn from San Francisco, the French woman who lives in San Francisco and has three stars out there, is late to open a restaurant in Paris. So this would be a homecoming table. Right now, she's just about to start doing a series of small private dinner parties in an apartment on the Ile Saint-Louis. But I think that her cooking is brilliant. And I'd love to see what she gets up to in Paris. I think that she'll be really warmly received by the French. Paris has never been more cosmopolitan and international as a culinary center. So that's what I'm excited about for the new year. Alex, so let's say a lot of people probably be traveling to Paris over New Year's and the holidays. I think that maybe some of us, present company included, might be thinking you want to balance out these new discoveries with some of the sort of like little-known classic places undiscovered. Maybe you could take a retired cabaret dancer if you knew her or see a few more (laughs) of them in the room. So is there a gem or two that you would suggest? But I know that you and I would probably take the cabaret dancer to Chez Georges, which is as good as it's ever been, and it's just off the Place de Victoire. And I think that the conviviality and the profound Frenchness of the city's bistros is more treasured by everybody than it's been. I mean, coming out of that sudden jolt of restaurant deprivation, that was imposed upon us and the whole world by COVID, suddenly bistros just seem miraculous. I mean, it could be a simple place like Jean-Francois Piège's Lepidor, which is on the edge of Réal, or it could be something a little more progressive, like Sébastien Bras Bistro in the new museum, the new Pinot Museum in the former Bourse de Commerce. Both of those are in the same neighborhood, Réal, which is really hot right now in Paris. My favorite thumping always forever place. I couldn't take the cabaret dancer there because she lives on cigarettes and cheap white wine which I think is maybe, I don't know, maybe that's kind of the fountain of youth, or at least the French fountain of youth. But if I was going someplace, I would go to Josephine Chez Dumonet, which is over in the Rue de Cherche Midi. And I'd also go, another favorite is L'Auberge Bressan. I think Ashley and I both love that place. It is just beyond charming. And <laughs> the poulet in the sauce vin jaune with morel mushrooms is really worth having your knees jammed under your chin in a transatlantic economy seat for. I've also noticed that for a long time, the brasserie, the brasseries in Paris, which Americans have always loved, they kind of went to a bad place because they became part of big commercial groups. That's ended. There's a brasserie renaissance right now, so some of the brasseries are good again. I had a fantastic time this year at Au Pied de Cochon, again in Léal, right in the heart of the city. My brilliant doctor kept me waiting four and a half hours. He's worth waiting four and a half hours for. I missed a dinner party. I missed everything. It was cold, it was raining, I was hungry, it was late, so I just walked through the door and had a meal there. And it was everything I remembered from the first time that I went there when I was a backpacking student and couldn't afford it. It's like just stumbling into a party and feeling quite welcome. And it's playful and flirtatious, and the food's delicious. French onion soup and steak tartare and omelets and roast chicken and everything delicious that you want to eat any hour of the day or night. Okay, it's all too easy for me just to walk up to St. Pancras and get on that Eurostar, Alex. So don't talk about 
about L'Auberge Bresson and that Poulet au vin jaune, or else you're going to see me in about three hours. I'll be waiting for you by the gate, Ashton. <laughs> we'll jump in again. <laughs> I love it. Alec, happy holidays to you and to your loved ones and your family. And we can't wait to talk to you again in 2023. I look forward to it. Have happy holidays to you two both as well. And happy holidays to the retired cabaret dancer. Just take her out for a spin. She's doing good. She's doing good. I buy her a liter and a half box of white wine and her two cartons of Vitans every Monday for her. And so at this stage of the game, she's 97. So a doctor's waving finger is kind of a waste of time. She has more energy than the three of us put together. So she's set for New Year's. That's perfect. I think she's going to need to be renewed again before New Year's, <laughs> actually. All right. Well, thank you so much, Alec. Pleasure always. Oh, Michael, like I can't deal with it. I mean, you're going to Paris momentarily. So if you don't go there, I don't even know what to say to you. Speechless and my mouth is watering and it just is, I've got my itinerary now. And anyone else who's going to Paris, I hope you do too. Uh, but some of you might be going to Paris if you're a millennial. And that's why I'm excited and very curious about this next story, courtesy of Lynn QU. Actually, can you just explain this to me how millennials are going to destination birthday parties? Is this what's happening? Yeah, this is funny. It's like the destination birthday party is the new wedding. And I get it. There are all kinds of reasons for this. And we're going to have Lynn tell us all about them. Lynn is a writer in Los Angeles who specializes in travel and culture, and she has got all the intel on the 30th birthday, the social event of the season. Welcome, Lynn. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, Lynn, the 30th birthday party. This is a new thing. It is in many ways competing with the crazy town weddings that we used to see so much of. Tell us exactly what's going on here. So traveling for your birthday isn't anything new. But what seems to be happening is as we're exiting out of pandemic and we're getting this post-pandemic glut of celebrations, and this sort of coincides with a lot of millennials who are not necessarily getting married. The 30th birthday for a lot of single unmarried millennials turns into this big milestone where for those who didn't necessarily throw a wedding by the age of 30, they kind of take their 30th birthday as a chance to go all out. You're seeing an increasing number of big destination trips for 30th birthdays in a way that almost competes with the wedding in terms of a huge trip that you need to get flights for, that you need to take time off for, that have multiple days of events and itineraries planned around them. And where are they getting all the money for this? I mean, are you seeing this kind of across income spectrums? Is this happening among a certain particular income level? Like, how do you make sense of all of that? I think it's the same question you would ask in terms of how is anyone affording a wedding or affording to go to all of these weddings. I'm certainly definitely seeing it amongst more so middle income, white collar, young professionals. But I have friends who have gone to many of these birthdays and events in a year and have had to go into credit card debt or have to depend on their savings in order to afford attending all of these things. One of the people that's mentioned in this article went to 22 celebration events this year nine of which were weddings, six of which were 30th birthdays. And she's not making an insane amount of money. So she's having to go paycheck to paycheck. She's used all of her PTO and vacation time in order to afford attending all of these. And Lynn, what do you make of this? Like, what's the meaning behind it? Is this 
a rite of passage into adulthood? Is it an alternative wedding for people who aren't quite sure that they want to do those big weddings or are thinking differently about partnership? Like, how do you explain it sort of from a cultural currency point of view? I think there are an increasing number of people as they approach their 30s, they're unmarried, they don't have children, they haven't necessarily bought a house. But at the same time, they've had to also attend other people's weddings and other people's big life events. So I know someone who this year, I think, holds the record. She was invited to 17 weddings in 2022 and ended up attending 14 or 15 of them. So at a certain point, you go to all of these events, you're spending all of this money for your friends. I had one friend spend $10,000 this year just being in three different bachelorette parties and being a bridesmaids in three different weddings. You go to all these events and as you start to hit 30, you start to think, well, what about me? I've spent so much money on these other people. Where's my turn to be celebrated? Where's my turn to have a weekend about myself? So I think that's why we're seeing an increasing number of big 30th birthday destinations is some people who don't necessarily have that wedding want a big life event that revolves around them and that celebrates them. I think the word we might be looking for here is payback. But I'm listening to all this and it also strikes me as like, I mean, there's got to be a lot of resentment by some people. I mean, that is an incredible amount of like, you're asked to go to all these events, the money that's being paid out, the social pressure then to attend all this and then to not just the weddings, but it used to be just the hassle of dealing with splitting a bill when five people went out to dinner. And now it's, you're taking this to an atomic level here, but I'm wondering, I'm always interested in where things go wrong and where things go bad. You're talking about this, a lot of resentment, people want attention paid to themselves. They feel it's payback time. What are the horror stories you've heard about anyone? Like do friendships then break up over this? Do people get in fights if they can't go or any downsides to any of this? Oh yeah, definitely. And I think there's definitely horror stories when it comes to money and splitting the bill and things like that. Asking someone to spend $2,500 for a weekend for your birthday is a big financial ask for a friend. And when you have five to six of these kinds of trips in a year, they definitely add up. I've definitely heard horror stories of birthday hosts promising to pay for a certain amount for their guests, whether it be the lodgings or whether it be activities, and then realizing they actually can't cover all of that and having to back charge their guests and people being really upset about it or birthday hosts asking their friends to travel hundreds to thousands of miles to come see them and then charging them for little things here and there, which is like people came hundreds to thousands of miles to come see you. Don't be nitpicky about this. So yeah, there's definitely small quibbles like that. And then a big trend amongst 30th birthdays that we've noticed is people hiring the private chef to come in and cook for the group. That's a really popular event to have. But some people are picky eaters or don't necessarily want to spend $100 on, on a meal. But because it's a part of a big group celebration, are often expected to or have to chip in. And so some people feel, wow, why am I spending over 100 bucks on a dinner that I didn't necessarily enjoy and that I wouldn't have done for myself otherwise? And then you also have, oftentimes, there's themed clothing that's expected at certain 
certain events. So people are having to rent clothing just for the weekend or go on a boat and they get motion sickness and they don't necessarily want to be a boat. So I think overall, people still enjoy the trips and still enjoy the chance to have excuse to go to a destination and go to these beautiful places with their friends. But with any sort of trip like that, there's always opportunities for things to go haywire. Lynn, Michael and I missed the 30th birthday boat. Thank God, I have to say. But have you turned 30 yet? No. And that's the thing is for me coming in a year. And so all of my big friend group right now is all sort of turning 30. So I'm expecting this to continue for the next few years. Are you going to perpetuate the madness? Are you going to do a party and ask the royal court of friends to come and celebrate you? What's funny is I absolutely was in that mindset earlier this year. I thought, oh, all these other people are doing destination birthdays. I'm also going to do one. I'm going to go to Lima, Peru or something cool and different. But now I've gotten to a point where I've seen so many of these happen or have attended them or have chosen not to attend them for financial reasons that as my 30th birthday approaches, I'm thinking I cannot ask people to spend over a thousand dollars on me for a weekend. I just think that's, I personally don't think I can do that to my friends. So if I do do something, I feel like as the host, I should be able to cover the majority of it. And if I can't cover it, then I won't do it. A wise and modest person. <laughs> yeah, no one told me in my 20s that I would have to stay for the year that all of my friends got married and also turned 30 at the same time. Well, Lynn, on behalf of all of us at Airmail, we wish you a very happy earliest birthday, full of lots of great high quality celebrations, whatever those might bring. And thank you so much for your great story. We can't wait for the next one from you. Great. Thank you guys so much for having me. I thought it was supposed to be your carefree 20s and then 30s, but not apparently. What about you? How did you celebrate your 30th birthday? It's like so low key compared to all this. We went to Earl's Beer and Cheese. Do you know that bar? It's on Park Avenue and 98th Street. No, 97th. It's just like a dive bar. It's in a, but it's in a funny neighborhood. It's like right in the heart of the Upper East Side. And at the time, I thought that that was really ironic and cool to like listen to indie rock from the 90s and drink beer and eat grilled cheese sandwiches. It was kind of perfect, actually. In fact, I might do that for my next birthday. Everyone just had to throw down 20 bucks, not Venmo it. And that was their share of the bill. Pretty simple. Yeah. No, I actually think I picked up the tab for my 30th birthday. And I think that tab was like $192. It was great. Well, you know who else is picking up the tab is our next guest, Bruce Bozzi, who is here to talk about the newest addition to the Airmail podcast stable. It is called Table for Two. And Bruce based in Los Angeles, is doing interviews each week with prominent people in the movie, music, and other parts of the world, beginning with his first guest, Scarlett Johansson, on his first episode, which launched this week. And I'm excited to have him on the show. How about you, Ashley? Oh, I can't wait. The only way this could be better is if we were having a delicious chopped chicken salad at the Beverly Hills Hotel, but we will make do with our podcasting software. Welcome, Bruce. Let's take a shopping break with our friends at David Yerman. In the American Luxury Houses holiday campaign, the Yerman family invites you to experience the magic of New York City by stepping into the Carlisle Hotel, an Upper East Side landmark. Nestled inside is Bellman's Bar, a famed piano bar beloved by celebrities and locals alike. The elegant ambiance and hand-painted murals made it the perfect setting to showcase David Yerman's sparkling holiday collections. 
The latest collections are modeled by brand ambassadors Scarlett Johansson and Henry Golding, and there are many beautiful holiday gift ideas. Enjoy all of the collections at davidyearman.com. All right. Welcome, Bruce. Congratulations on this exciting podcast adventure. Thank you so much. I am beyond excited for this. This is a dream come true. All right. Tell us everything we need to know about it, including the name, when it's coming out, what the gist is, the whole story. Okay. So the name is Table for Two with Bruce Bozzi. The idea is I have a whole background in the restaurant business for 30 years of my life. And over the course of that time, I just hospitality, meals, the romance of a meal, always very important to me. And I feel some of the best conversations and moments that people share are over the course of a meal. So we're launching Table for Two. It'll be based in LA, where I do it at the Tower Bar, and I've done it at the San Vicente Bungalows, and also in New York at Via Carota. We sort of travel now, and we hit restaurants that I find really interesting and good. The idea is to sit with someone that I am genuinely interested in. The thought process is, this is a conversation about generosity and curiosity. It's not about a gotcha. It's the thing that I felt sort of has gone away a lot of times in conversations and what's going on. People just kind of want to go in, get the soundbite, kind of get the punch. But this is truly two people having a meal. Roughly, it's an hour meal. At the show is about 38, 40-minute meal. And inevitably, when you're sitting and having a conversation with somebody, you get very comfortable and you start to talk about things that are personal, professional. So Table for Two is like, it's beyond exciting. I mean, I, second or third episode will be George Clooney and Julia Roberts. And it was really a personal conversation about work and life. And I happen to know them for many, many years. And over the summer, I was able to sit with John Bon Jovi in Sag Harbor and really talk about rock and roll and rock stars. So Table for Two at its best is just a really wonderful celebration of food and friendship. And I think it's there's a nice niche that I don't know, maybe you guys have heard something like this before, but, and I've done it for a number of years in a different iteration. So there was a chassis built, but now Table for Two has gone completely next ne level with Airmail and iHeart. We've just kind of really streamlined. It's going to be beautiful. It's edited. There's music. There's a real nice ease to it. Bruce, when you're booking guests, are these mostly people that you've met before that you ha know that you have intimate relationships or are they strangers whose stories you're interested in telling? Good question. So when the show began and the first iteration, a lot of it, I leaned into people I knew. I mean, my life in hospitality, I got to know a lot of people. I'm married to Brian Lord, who is in the entertainment business. So I've met a lot of people and a lot of my friends in New York happened to be in show business and it was just a natural thing. So I really kind of just would ask. Now it's a bit of a mix. The launching piece so the people like John Bon Jovi and George and Julia, I asked, and episode one, I asked her, but not all, like Sharon Stone's going to be doing the show, and I don't know Sharon Stone. I mean, a lot of people, I just did Doug Brinkley, who's this incredible historian. So it's a bit of a mix. Bruce, first of all, Ashley and I just want to say welcome to the podcasting world here on Airmail. We've just doubled our ranks. <laughs> I'm curious too, your life, as you say, you're growing up in the hospitality world or the restaurant and bar world. Every interviewer has their kind of, for lack of a better word, tricks or how they want to approach things. But I'm, I can only imagine the tricks you learned 
in order to carry conversations standing across the bar. Are there any lessons you learned there starting out that you still carry with you now when you're bringing these conversations to life? Great question. And first of all, thank you. I am so excited to be part of the podcast world. I'm so excited to be part of the airmail family. It's a big deal. Yes, what I noticed, I did everything. My family, my great-grandfather started a restaurant, but I think the restaurant world gave me a real good foundation of just really being very quickly able to read a person. So like, oh, okay. Like I, I can tell very quickly what's your mood, where you're coming in from. That was a big education. And that crosses over with the podcast. Bruce, thank you so much for joining us. Congratulations on this exciting new step in the life of Table for Two. Thank you. We can't wait to have lunch with you, hopefully at San Vicente very soon. I would love that. I mean, you're in London, you're in New York. Please, when you come out, let's do a sit down. Let's do a table for two. It's truly exciting. And thank you for having me this morning. I appreciate it. Except to be a table for three. Well, you'll be the second table for three because George Clooney and Julia Roberts were the first table for three. That's a good path to follow in, Ashley. That's too intimidating for me. We're not doing that. Okay, you and I'll share it. <laughs> I can't follow this too. Yes, you can. Believe me. <laughs> thank you so much, Bruce. Congratulations. The show for everyone listening is Table for Two and you can get it wherever you get all your podcasts, right, Bruce? Exactly. Exactly. Download it now. It's the latest from Airmail. Congrats, Bruce. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. Love him. Love him. That was great. So we've got It's Already Out with Scarlett Johansson. I'm eager to see his next guests as they move along. But this is going to be an exciting new show. And it's nice to have someone else on, on the podcast block with us. It's great. The more the merrier. We're becoming a posse now, Michael. Watch out. Exactly. A table for three. All right. Say le weekend. We have lots to do and discuss. Michael, it is the weekend officially. Thank goodness. I'll be going to the Nutcracker here in New York. That's right. It's an exciting moment. That's life with small kids, Michael. But I know you've got something you can recommend to us to pass the time. I do. And I guess you, speaking of kids, you could count me among the billion or so other people on the planet who apparently have gotten hooked on Netflix's newest monster hit, Wednesday. For those of you who haven't seen yet, this is Tim Burton's take on the classic TV series slash Charles Adams cartoon series, The Adams Family. It came out a few weeks ago, and in that brief time, it has racked up, according to Netflix, a billion hours of viewing, making it their third most watched series ever after Squid Game and Stranger Things season four. If you're a fan of Tim Burton and his sense of style. You'll love this show. And I have to admit, I was into it from the opening scene. I mean, how can you not be when it's set in a high school named for Nancy Reagan? Right away, you know you're in good hands. The breakout performance here is Jenna Ortega, who plays the teenaged Wednesday. And she's already crossed over into pop culture status, not the least for her Susie and the Banshees inspired high school dance moment, which has spawned about a zillion imitators on TikTok. It's a great escapist fun, weirdly something for the whole family at this time of year, I think. And to me, it was a welcome kind of palate cleanser after I finished the psychodrama that was White Lotus this season. It's called Wednesday and it's on Netflix. Ashley, have you watched it? I haven't seen it yet. I think the kids would like it and you should check out her dance on TikTok because everyone's doing it. Okay. I'm trying to get my kids off Netflix, but if you tell me to do it, I will, clearly. And you, Ashley, do you have any recommendations? All right. I'm taking us in a completely different direction today, but there was a conversation about this on Twitter and I reread it and I just, oh, I forgot how good it was. Okay. So in 2005, David Foster Wallace gave a commencement speech at Kenyon College and it is just so good. 
it. It is about the meaning of life, the purpose of life. It's called This Is Water. It became a short book, in fact, but you can find it easily online. Just Google This Is Water by David Foster Wallace. If you are trying to make sense of these dark days of December and also embrace the new opportunity of the new year, there's a lot of wisdom to be found within it. Have you ever read it? I have. I love it. It's so good, right? It's just, it's one of those things you need to reread like every six months just to remind you of the meaning of life. And it's quite life affirming as well. So if you need a little bit of a literary uplift and a little DFW, highly recommend it. It's called This Is Water by David Foster Wallace. You can also listen to an audio version of it as well. There's one on SoundCloud. On that note, Michael, wishing you a marvelous weekend, my dear. I can't wait to see you again, IRL, imminently. Will you please, until then, read us out? I'd be happy to. And I'd also like to give a special thanks to this week's sponsor, David Yerman. Meeting is produced by Airplay Productions and edited by Jesse Cannon. Our co-editors are Graydon Carter and Alessandra Stanley. Our chief operating officer is Bill Keenan, and our deputy editors are Ashley Baker, Chris Garrett, Nathan King, Julie Vitelli, and Ash Carter. Our CMO is Emily Davis, and our music supervisor is Randall Poster. The theme music is The Cute Monster by the buddy Colette Quintet. A new edition of Airmail is published every Saturday, so please subscribe and enjoy all of our stories on airmail.news, which we update every day. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at Airmail Weekly. We will be back here next Saturday with another edition of Morning Meeting. In the meantime, be sure to subscribe on Spotify or Apple Music. But most of all, thank you for joining us.